Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello, I'm Janet Marana, Executive Director of Priests for Life, joined here by the National Director, Father Frank Pavone. In a moment, you are also going to see Kevin Burke of Rachel's Vineyard. Welcome to our seminar today on abortion Recovery Awareness Month. This is our final one-hour seminar, and we want to hear from you questions you might have. Now, before we begin today's topic, um, there was something that happened last week, very sad thing, and we just want to briefly talk about that. Uh, Vicki Thorne uh, died suddenly, the founder of Project Rachel. I'm going to show a picture of our dear friend Vicki. Um, unfortunately, apparently, from what we've heard, uh, she had a, a massive heart, heart attack. She hadn't been ill. It was just a sudden thing. And she will be very missed. Um, you know, you might ask, well, Janet, Project Rachel, and then there's Dr. Teresa Burke founded Rachel's Vineyard. Yeah, they both, tracks started running around the same time. Because when they, these two women started doing, reaching out to women hurt by abortion, there wasn't much happening. So Vicky's focus with Project Rachel was training clergy, priests. Because what was happening is women would come to confession, to confess their sin of abortion, then they come back again and again. So Vicki had to train the, the priests how to deal with women who have been hurt by abortion to get them to the point with spiritual direction that they could forgive themselves. So Project Rachel now is under the auspices of the USCCB. And of course, we commend Vicki to the Lord and uh, thank her for her decades of work in abortion recovery. So just I wanted to have a little moment to pay tribute to Vicki Thorne. Well, now joining us, of course, is one of the co-founders of Rachel's Vineyard, Kevin Burke. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Great to be with you today, Father Frank. Great to have you. And of course, Father, um, we, today we're going to talk about the wider circle of victims of abortion. So why don't you yes. frame our discussion? And brothers and sisters, we want to hear your questions too. As Father is giving you this introduction to our conversation today, we want to hear your questions and comments too. Well, of course, uh, Kevin and uh, Janet, good to be with you both. Mm -hmm. uh, abortion Recovery Awareness Month. We've been giving a lot of attention to it this month, and, yes. and as we should. And I've noticed a lot our, our communications department has been inviting us to do a lot of media about this, even on Newsmax. I, I, they were asking me about Abortion Recovery Awareness Month That's uh, great. Uh, earlier in the month. Uh, so it's been getting some attention. People are learning more about, because if there's abortion recovery, what that means is that there's abortion wounds. Right. And, and that's the whole thing, to, to, to tell people, A, there's damage that's done, B, you might be experiencing some of that damage. Because a lot of times people are experiencing the damage and they don't realize that it's from the abortion. Right. That makes that connection. Yes. And then C, it's, uh, hey, healing is available. Nobody has to suffer this pain in silence or, or just, you know, deal with it as if there's nothing that can be done. There's a lot that can be done. So we're making people aware of the different recovery programs. So today in this seminar, we're going to be talking about the wider circle of victims. And, and let me frame it by going back to a slogan that the pro-abortion people always use. Abortion is a decision between a woman and her physician and her, sometimes they say, and her God, you know, right. sometimes they'll throw in and her family. But the basic presumption that the other side wants everyone to make is that this is a decision that only impacts that mother. The baby for them, they pretend the baby doesn't even exist. But then, right. of course, if the baby doesn't exist, why do you need a procedure in order to kill the baby? Uh, but they don't mind that 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 lack of logic doesn't bother them. Uh, they they but they want people to think that this is an isolated decision with isolated consequences. This is why understanding the wider circle of victims is so important right. because it blasts out of the water this idea that this is an isolated decision with isolated consequences. In reality, neither the decision nor the consequences are isolated. Now, unfortunately, it's usually not a decision. It's usually uh, a giving way to pressure uh, from various circumstances or people. But there are other people involved and there are other people wounded 
And that's what we're going to look at. The primary victim of abortion is always that baby. And we always, you know, none of what we do in the abortion recovery movement or at Priests for Life or Silent No More or Rachel's Vineyard is meant to dismiss or, 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 Pay, uh, take attention away from the baby. Sometimes people have that misunderstanding. They'll well, see no, our signs. Father, and, the baby is at the epicenter. It, 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 of course. Like yes. we say with shockwaves. So the baby's at the epicenter and that shockwave reverberates out a shock to wave. the mother, to mother, the father, father, to the grandparents, to future siblings, right. to uh, other relatives, you know, the aunts and uncles that don't have a niece or nephew any longer, or the That's cousins right. don't have That's a cousin right. to play with. And then, of course, then there's the friends that might have told the person to go have the abortion, help right. to bring them there, help right. pay for it. So it, it reverberates over all of society. Really. That's right. And it's, and it's major consequences. It's not just like, oh, I feel a little shaking from the tremors. No, no, no. It's like, you know, buildings are falling on you. Right. I mean, abortion is, you know, it's not, abortion never touches us gently. This is something that people have to understand. It doesn't, it is not, there's nothing gentle about it. It's devastating. Um, and it wounds people way more deeply than we can even describe or imagine. So right. <laughs> this is what that's what we want to talk about here. And 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 the vision, the other slogan of the other side, of course, is that oh, it's a woman's issue. Nonsense. Okay, it's a man's issue. It's a society issue. It's a human rights issue. It's a family. It's a issue. grandparents' <laughs> issue. It's a family issue. It's everybody's issue. Right. So these are these are some of the basic concepts that frame our discussion. And uh, it, final point here, just for the framing, if the wounds are multifaceted and reaching wide circles of victims, then so is the healing. Right. The healing is relational. The healing is group healing. The healing involves many layers uh, with with many people uh, involved. And by the way, when we say victims, we should also clarify something. When you say the wider circle of victims, when we say a victim, we don't mean that they have no responsibility necessarily. Right. What we mean is they are wounded. That's simply that's all we're saying. They are wounded. Now, you can be wounded simply by the action of somebody else. Or you could be wounded by your own action, too, or a combination of that. Right. It doesn't mean you're not responsible. There's guilt. There's plenty of guilt to go around. Sometimes the grandparents are more guilty than the than the mother. Sometimes the, the father is more guilty than the mother, right? And the abortionist is the most guilty of all, okay? Right. So, so we're not told. When we say victims, we're just simply pointing out people are wounded by abortion. Again, not gently, but devastatingly. And we need to be aware of those wounds so that we can offer some healing. Right. Well, Kevin, you know, with Rachel's Vineyard now, <clears throat> uh, obviously women come to uh, Rachel's Vineyard for healing. Men have come. But the experience of your teams all over the country, all over the world has now expanded, hasn't it, into these other categories that Father's talking about, right? Absolutely. And that's been very true from the beginning. As you were um, doing a nice job of kind of setting the framework for our discussion today, I was thinking of a, re a retreat where I was serving as the um, the team counselor. And every Rachel's Vineyard retreat, there is a you know a, a site leader who facilitates the weekend program. There's um, a, a priest or a deacon <clears throat> or, or or a minister if it's an interdenominational retreat. Um, there are some folks who have experienced abortion healing and have been called to serve in the team. But there's also a counselor. So I was a counselor serving in a retreat. And uh, there sometimes when people want to learn more about Rachel's Vineyard and serve in some way in the ministry, in this example, it was a, diocese, a, a regional diocese was sending one of their counselors to the retreat so that they would be familiar with the process and be able to refer to it. So I kind of, you know, agreed to kind of mentor this person through the weekend, be there for them, answer any questions, et cetera. Um, they shared no, under, I said, you know, is there any history of abortion or a family member who's experienced abortion? Because when you go through the retreat um, to learn about it, you really enter the process. It's very important that you go and do all the activities and, and journey through it with the participants. So this particular counselor, we'll call her Mary, and Mary said, no, I don't really have any direct connection to, that I can think of. So she begins to listen to the stories as the retreat unfolds of the women and men present. They're telling their abortion stories. And on Saturday morning, after the abortion stories finished, 
she came up to me and she was the blood had kind of <laughs> had drained out of her face. And um, and I could tell that she was a little bit upset. I said, what's going, you know, she said, can, can we talk? So we, I went aside and talked to her. It turns out that she had completely forgotten that in college she had driven a roommate to get an abortion. The, you know, the friend told her about the, the abortion. She didn't say, you know, go get the abortion. The person was set on it. She didn't ask her whether she should consider other options. She merely felt she was being supportive and drove her. And then she, so she realized now at this point, after hearing the stories of these women that, and the impact of abortion, that, wow, I had a direct connection and relationship uh, to that child that was lost. And uh, it really touched her very deeply. And I think that's a good example of the fact that we have thousands, millions of people in our country who have had some relationship to abortion directly or indirectly. And uh, we don't, we're, we're not conscious of the fact that our association with that unjust death, that act of violence, it touches us. It touches right. us very deeply. And it's, it's surprising to people when they step away from uh, their normal defenses that they have or the ways that they are in denial about that. And there's some awareness raised uh, it's, it can be really profound and, and touch them very deeply. And she went on to have a really beautiful experience of the retreat and she honored that child and named that child. And she prayed for the mother and father of that baby that they would also come to repentance and healing. Yeah. And you know, that's very important, Kevin, because right now listening, brothers and sisters, maybe, you know, someone who participated in this way. And that's why we're here is to raise that awareness mm. so that they can find help. And you can go to abortiontestimony.com, put in your zip code. You'll see where the nearest Rachel's Vineyard retreat is. You know, because, you know, Father and Kevin, I through Silent No More, I've heard a lot of different stories. So, for example, like Kevin, you gave one example. This girl drove her roommate, all right, for the abortion thinking she was being helpful. Oh, um, I'm having an abortion tomorrow. Can you take me? And her friend must have said, oh, sure. Okay, I'll drive you. Mm -hmm. Well, what if she told her, no, I can't take you. You can't have an abortion. There's other choices or other options. But no, instead of her offering that advice, she just said, oh, okay, you, I'll help. You know you what? Know? I've advised people. Your friend asks you to drive her to the abortion clinic. If you're against that abortion, get in that car. And drive her to the pregnancy center. Yeah, it, I mean it's a it's a, it's it's yeah. it's a life and death. It's a rescue. And, and you can it's find out where the nearest pregnancy center yeah. is by going yeah. to Option Line, and, and they put your zip code in there. You'll see where the nearest pregnancy yeah. center. Yeah, yeah. hop in the car and <clears> drive <throat> her to the pregnancy. Take her to the pregnancy center. center. Yeah. But you know, there's also been Kevin and Father cases I've heard where, on in a college dorm, I heard one case where this girl wanted to have an abortion. She didn't have the money. And she asked everyone on her dorm floor, would they help chip in wow. for the abortion? Talk about spreading the guilt. Spreading the guilt. So every person that gave 10 or $20 towards that abortion, they contributed to the death of the baby. Yeah, let's pause and think about that. I want to invite our viewers, by the way, anything we've said so far that you want to comment or ask about. I know some people have been, been uh, leaving some comments, so I want to respond to some of those after I make this point. But, you know, it, it, when we say this is wider circle of victims, so you think about that. I gave $10. It might just be $10. Mm -hmm. Oh, the, the, the people were chipping in to the friend's abortion. So I gave $10. You know, at some point... At some point, if not immediately, I'm going to think about that. At some point, I'm going to see a picture of a baby mm -hmm. in the womb yeah. at the time of uh, 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 pregnancy <clears throat> that my friend was at that moment. At right. some time, people may see, and this is what jars a lot of people to repentance and healing, a picture of an aborted baby. And then that $10 bill comes into my head. Wait a minute. I gave. I helped to make that happen. Well, and, and there's a tremendous, and you can't take it back. You can't reverse the clock. Well, there's an example I can point out to both of you. Um, Georgette Forney, who co-founded Silent No More with me, she you knows she's also president of Anglicans for Life. Right. So she has this donor that every August she sends a donation of, of $15 to Anglicans for Life mm -hmm. to annually on the same date. So out of curiosity, one day, Georgette contacted her just to say, well, thank you for your donation. I'm just wondering, you know, every August you send us $15. Same day, same amount. Same amount, yeah. same day. And you know what she said? 
She said, because that's the day I gave my friend $15 yeah. for an abortion. Yeah. And I want to, I want to give back. I want to make up for that tragic mistake of what I did. So, yeah. and now this is 20 years later, she's still sending $15 yeah. uh, to yeah. give back for what she did. Cause she feel, felt that she can, and this was before silent no more. This was before shockwaves before we, we announced this, this woman on her own said, I contributed to the death of this baby. I have to give back. Yeah. Wow. Let me just point out to our viewers that that person would be very welcome on a Rachel's vineyard retreat. If they were looking for a deeper healing of that experience or they wanted to honor that child and go through the retreat process, they would be, uh, would be most welcome. Yeah, that's yes, a, that's absolutely. very very good. Well, because you know why that will help give them that healing and closure, like you said about your the other woman, uh, Kevin. They have an opportunity to memorialize that child, to name that child. You know, it's it's kind of helping to put the humanity back onto that that baby, and, and, and at the same time, get more healing for and themselves. And people who go through <laughs> healing because of that, and it's a very deep wound. It, it, people might not think it's a deep participation in the procedure, but it's a deep wound. Just takes up two seconds for it to happen, right? Right. Hey, I'm <laughs> gathering some money to. Oh, here you go. Two seconds for it to happen. It's a very deep wound. Um, but people who go through the healing are also welcome to come on Silent No More and share their testimony. And share their right? testimony, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, there's another uh, facet here too, uh, guys. Is that what about uh, the person who's on a, in a college dorm? And they hear of a girl down the hall is going for an abortion. Right. This Saturday. Okay, you're scared. She's talking. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have an abortion on Saturday. And you say nothing. You've contributed to the death of that baby, right? Because right, you, you, you could have said something. You could have said something. You could have spoken up, right, Kevin? I mean, well, that, didn't, that, you have a, didn't you I had, then? I, unfortunately, uh, very sadly, I had that experience myself. Um I could share some of that if you'd like. Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah. Now this was, we're going way back. So, you know, I was in my twenties. Um, I didn't, I never heard of Roe v. Wade at this point. I was in graduate school uh, for uh, social work and I wouldn't describe myself as, uh, I was definitely not pro, pro-abortion, but I was not pro-life in any sense at the time either. And I was learning the tools of the counseling trade, which is there's a lot of, you know, neutrality and objectivity and you just listen, let make let, let people make their own decisions and things. So I, that was my kind of knowledge framework. And I had a, a, a close family member, someone I had known for years. And, we, you know, we were we were friends and family members and she trusted me, knew that I was in graduate school, knew that I had some religious sensibility, but my at that time, my faith perspective was more like a social justice framework. So, you know, it was like, you know, rights for the poor and visiting prisoners and helping to feed the uh, feed the hungry, et cetera. But there was no connection to abortion at that point yet. So she comes to me and she shares about uh, the situation. And I did know at that, I did know that there were things, there was assistance available for someone who was pregnant. So I said, look, I can give you some resources and that you can, um, that will help you if you decide to parent the child, but I'll respect whatever decision you make. Now, of course, that response, which to our secular ears and maybe some of our listeners sounds like a very reasonable, compassionate and kind response. Right. But in a sense, I was perhaps sealing well, the fate of her baby at that point. Yeah, you were, Kevin, because in a way you were making it sound like, well, it's up to you. It's up to you. And we know from the voices of the women who've had abortions from Silent No More that sometimes they're just looking for an answer. They're, 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 they've lost hope. They don't know what to do. So unless you say and you give them the hope and say, like, you know, well, you don't have to have an abortion. There's better choices. Right, I'll help right, you. Right. By not saying that, you're you're pushing them. Well, to in the other words, they're already overwhelmed with the weight of this decision. Quote decision, right? And uh, to say, well, it's up to you, simply reinforces their isolation. Right. Oh, it's up to you. In other words, it's not up to me to lead the way here, maybe to a better place, a better choice. No, it's up to you. Yeah, but you're already drowning under this 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 right. the weight of this. How yeah. could it be up to you? Yeah. So you know, we want to encourage anyone if you participated in any way, like we're describing here, to know that there's healing available for you too, and you can go to abortionforgiveness.com, put your zip code in, and see 
where the nearest Rachel's written. I want, I'm curious, anyone listening so far, have you had this kind of an experience? Please let us know if you'd like to share with us. Uh, we can share with others too. Um, Father, I think um, it says, thank yes. you for praying for those For my wife uh, who is ex uh, experiencing the evil attacks. Yes, Pierre, we are praying uh, yes. for you and for all of you, brothers and sisters who are watching. And you know what? We can point right now, Father, to this beautiful statue yes. uh, that I have here. This is Jesus and he's holding uh, the, the baby, the aborted baby. And, he, and he's holding this this woman's holding hand, hand yeah. of this woman who's obviously lost the, her baby to abortion, uh, you know, entrusting him, the, her baby to Jesus. But look at Jesus. He's looking right at her and his hand is on her hand, mm. extending that mercy. And of course, yesterday we just had uh, Divine Mercy Sunday uh, where anyone hurting from abortion should know that the Lord is here to forgive them and welcome them back. Right. Father to the mm -hmm. church. Right. The Lord is at my side. It reminds me of that scripture. Right. Right. You know, he's not standing over her to judge. He's not condemning. No, no. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's counseling. He's leading her to open up. You know, right. the church says, open up, face honestly what happened and call it by its proper name. Don't, right. don't sugarcoat it. But then know that the mercy of God isn't to be sugarcoated either. Right. It's fierce. It's big. It's intense. And it's we've, we've ministered to women who've had multiple abortions. In fact, Father, you've ministered. Yeah, I always refer to the to the case, a woman I spoke to uh, who had 26 abortions. Right. Yeah. And she, if, if repenting, will be forgiven. Yes. Right? yes. So let's go on, uh, Kevin and Father, talk about some of the other circle of victims. Well, let's see. Are there any other comments or questions we want to uh, see any uh, questions? Take a look We're at? checking. I know our, our, okay. Uh, We're waiting. People are signing on. We're and, waiting uh, for more questions. <laughs> okay. Who asks yeah. for? Yeah, who asks for? Yeah. In other words, yeah, it's crazy, right? I Asking know. Donations. Very common. It's, yeah. It's very. It's all too common. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, believe it or not, that that's sad, but yeah. Sometimes these girls are in desperate circumstances away at college. They're not with their family. Uh, and they think they have no choice but the abortion. And they ask their friends to help them pay for it. It's sad. But, yeah, that's what happens. So let's go move on uh, for a minute to grandparents. Now, grandparents, it's a kind of grandparents are kind of like with the fathers. There's two sides of the coin. Right. Uh, there's those grandparents that took their daughter for the abortion who said, um, <clears throat> Some of them very well-meaning, thinking they were helping their daughter. Mm -hmm. um, we have so many testimonies about those cases. You know, they thought, well, you know, she's only in high school. This is going to, quote, quote, ruin her life. I'll just bring her off for the abortion. Some parents forced their daughter for the abortion, told her, either you have that abortion, or I'm going to throw you out of the house. This is perhaps the, the most misguided uh, parental kindness and guidance right. that one could imagine yeah uh, it's it, it is you terrible. are doing right such damage right to your well you know to your daughter and over uh, with all the testimonies we have i can in particular point out uh teresa bonapartis uh who is also involved in abortion recovery she's given her testimony it's up on our website and she herself talks about she was a teenager pregnant and her parents threw her literally out of the house mm -hmm. because she refused to go have an abortion and she had to go live with another relative and eventually she gave birth to the, I'm, I'm sorry correction she eventually had the abortion because nobody would help her they threw her out of the house and said you're going to have this abortion or get out she, and she was like 16 17 years old no place to go and by the time she had her abortion father it was a second trimester abortion because of all this time lag she was begging to have her baby and nobody would help her. And mm -hmm. she ended up, they took her actually to a, a hospital up in Westchester County. Look, and, uh, and she had a late-term abortion. Yeah. The fear, the despair. I mean, right. some of the same factors that drive the mother to abort drive the grandparents to push the abortion. And that's right? what happened in Fear, this case. despair. despair. Uh, well, lie, and, and that, in her family's case, it was an embarrassment. They didn't want yes. anyone to know Pride. that their daughter you know, got pregnant out of wedlock. And so they wanted to cover it up with abortion. That's what happens. Yes. But then there's the other grandparents um, who falls into my category, uh, which I've given my testimony. Uh, my, one of my daughters was away at college out in Michigan. And, uh, you know, she was doing okay the beginning of the, the school year. But by that 
spring, she was saying she was sick. She wasn't feeling good and all this. And she came home. She was a type one diabetic. So I was assuming it was her diabetes and she came home. And it wasn't until almost a, a year later, I found out that she had an abortion without me knowing, didn't, you know, come for help, didn't tell me. And she knew that I would have accepted the baby. I would have helped her. I wouldn't have, you know, I, I would help you supportive. Uh, and I had, we went through a healing program together, but I had asked her, I said, Tom, why, why didn't you come to me? Why? And you know what she said? Well, mom, I, I, I didn't want to disappoint you. Right. And I don't since, want to disappoint. I don't want to disappoint you. Very common. Yeah. It's very common. And since I came out with my story, I've had other grandparents come to me and tell me the same thing happened to them. And this happens, you know, Kevin, very common, I think, in the pro-life movement um, is that um, because we're so enmeshed and we tell our kids and our kids get raised in pro-life 101, they're just so enmeshed in, in this work that they say, they don't want to disappoint their parents. Yeah. Look at look at Connie's comment. My dad told me if I got pregnant, he would kill me. I was certain he would. Still believe he would. I am 70. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And what does this next one say, Father? I remember a long time ago of someone. Whom I did not know, but she was a teenager and did get an abortion. I remember. I do remember she was extremely withdrawn and extremely sad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and Kevin, part of this, uh, we'll have you comment on all of this. The third category of grandparents, Janet, are the ones who um, are opposed to the abortion, want to save the child, and know about the, the imminent abortion. You didn't know your didn't daughter know. was going to mm -hmm. have an abortion because then you would have intervened, I could have intervened. In, a, in a strong way. Right. Uh, others do know about it. Okay. And they try to convince them not to do it. Now, Kevin, uh, what I often think here is the, per the kind of situation Janet is in and those grandparents who only find out when it's too late, there's an additional layer of pain and grief there uh, over and above the one who knew it was coming, but tried to stop it. And, 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 and tell me what you think about this, both of you, because on the one hand, the person who who knew it was coming and spoke up for the baby and tried to lead the, the, the mom to alternatives and so forth. At least that person can say later on, you know, I, I had the chance to save this baby and I did my best. Whereas someone like in your case and so many others who find out about it only later, know. you know, the added grief is, you know, I could have had a chance. Maybe I could have saved that child. Maybe I could have saved my daughter from the pain of an abortion. I wasn't even, so not only did you lose your grandchild, you lost even the chance to speak up and save the grandchild. Isn't that an added layer of, of, of pain and grief here? I, I would say that in both cases, it's, it, it's, it's just a different level of pain. And I would use the word trauma, particularly right. in the case where you're not able to stop what you know is going to be the lead to the death of your grandchild, you know, is going to hurt your, your son or your son or daughter. Um, that's the textbook psychological definition of emotional traumas, PTSD. So it, it would not, it would not be uncommon for uh, grandparents in those situations to have the same thing, same kind of symptoms of nightmares and anxiety, depression, um, you know, the, the triggers that would set set off anxiety and depression, you know, the, the, you know reminders of the child that was lost. So it, I think in both cases, Father, I, I, I mean, I get your point in one sense, there is energy going towards being able to do something. And I think that does yeah. help on one level. But then when that energy and that effort leads to the, you still can't stop it. Right. That's rough. That's rough. As it was in Janet's case, to learn later, uh, it's a different unfolding of that pain, but it's 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 kind of a similar traumatic loss in many yep. ways. Right. I just want to remind our folks that I wrote this book, Shockwaves, The Wider Circle of Victims, uh, where you can read about all these uh, different uh, victims of abortion and, and the hurt and the damage uh, in this book. And it's available at our online store at prolifeproducts.org. We'd love to send you a copy of Shockwaves, Abortions wider circle of victims. Now there's another uh, category um, after grandparents we have, and a lot of people don't think about this, but 
okay, you had that abortion in high school or college, went on with your life eventually, even if you eventually found healing. Now you marry Mr. Wonderful and you're ready to start a family, right? What effect of does that prior abortion have on this child now that you're the sibling to that baby that you're going to have, right? Mm -hmm. And we know there's been a lot of research by the Canadian psychiatrist, Dr. Philip Ney, uh, on what they call sibling survivors. Um, so, Father, maybe you want to just say a few words about sibling survivors. Well, there are actually various categories of survivors. And the sibling survivors is one of these several categories. The bottom line is if somebody could have been aborted might have been aborted, perhaps an abortion was being planned on them, an abortion was done on one of their siblings, uh, they are survivors, all of them are survivors. And to lose a sibling really makes one uh, face very deep questions about their own well-being because it's their parents right. whom, on whom they're <clears throat> relying for safety, support, love, uh, nurture, uh, food, shelter, clothing, everything. Uh, it's their parents who killed their brother, their sister. So the first immediate question is, am I safe? <coughs> am I safe? What does that, do my parents love me? Am I wanted? Um, well, do same, I have to work same, harder to be wanted? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You know, am I wanted right away? That, that little kid becomes like an overachiever. Like I've got to get good grades at school. I have to like if, I, if I'm trying to learn to ride a bike, I got to get this down pat. And I right, gotta, right, right. I, everything they have to do, they have to do the best because if I don't, what happens? What happens to yeah, me? What's going to happen to me? You know? right, yeah. And one case, Kevin and Father, I want to point out is uh, Dr. Uh, Philip Ney. You know, he's been he's a child psychiatrist, family practice who has studied abortion for decades too. One case he told me about in his practice, which I think really draws your attention to how this is really happening. He had a mother come to him with a little girl, six years old. And the problem was she was wetting her bed and having night terrors and wetting her bed and wetting her bed. No matter what they, the mother tried, she couldn't get this little girl to stop this terror in the night and wetting the bed. So Dr. Ney has the little girl in the, another room with one of his associates and he's interviewing the mother in another room. And so the associate, kind of like what you do with a little kid, you give her some paper and some crayons, and the, and the the not knowing what the kid was going to do, she says to the the little girl, "Oh, draw." Now this child was the only child, and says to her, "Draw a picture of your family." So what does she draw? She draws her mommy and her daddy, and herself, and then she draws two other older children, like bigger kids in the picture. You know, got kids at that age, what are they, these little stick figures, you know, they put the little triangles for dresses and things on the kids. So the associate looks at the picture and thanks the little girl. She goes, I'll be right back. And she brings the picture over and shows it to Dr. Ney, who's talking to the mother. So Dr. Ney looks at the picture and then looks at the mother and says, he doesn't use the word abortion. He says, tell me, um, have you had any pregnancy losses? So you always use that word, right? Very safe word, Kevin, right? Instead of abortion, pregnancy loss. Right. So she puts her head down and tears start welling up. And with her, she wouldn't even look at Dr. Nay. She got her head down. She goes, yes, I, 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 I've lost. Yes, I've had two abortions. Two abortions. This little girl, how did she know to draw two missing siblings? Amazing, right? The bottom line is they often know. They often have a sense. And that's what this little girl, eventually, Dr. Ney had the little girl and the mother together in counseling, took a, a few months. But after this whole, it was like the white elephant in the middle of the room, the secret came out, the admission of what happened, and then the counseling of the little girl so she could feel safe and secure again, because that's what was the, the underlying cause, Father, was that she had this sense of, Somebody was missing in her family. She had a sense of, I had I had a brother or sister, two of them. Where are they? And her, and her feeling, am I wanted? Am I wanted? Am I wanted? There are many things that children pick up on right. um, that we don't realize they're picking up on. Because we're thinking, you know, adults are thinking adult thoughts. Right. They're paying attention to adult things going right. on in the room. 
And these are things often beyond the reach of children anyway. They're paying attention to other things. Right. And sometimes they overhear it. Mm -hmm. the, the, the parent might be talking about the two children that were lost. Sometimes the younger child overhears it. Uh, other times it's just, like you said, an innate sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, there may be very many ways uh, that they find out. Right. Survivor syndrome that Dr. Ney has studied and written about. And another book we could recommend, by the way, is called Deeply Damaged by Dr. Philip Ney. And, and that's available, by the way, on Amazon. Still. That's right. Deeply <laughs> Damaged. They experience some of the same effects of survivors coming back from war. Anxiety and guilt. Anxiety, they narrowly escaped death, but is death lurking for me right around the, the corner? You know, something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and guilt. You will, One would think that one feels good about surviving, but actually they feel guilty. Why was I the one that was chosen and not my sibling right. who died? And therefore it can feel like, well, I'm responsible for the death of my sibling because after all, had a, a, because, it was because I didn't die that they did. Right. And, 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 and they have these layers of, uh, of guilt uh, coming, uh, coming upon them. Uh, and it's uh, it's a real, real syndrome. Right. It is. Absolutely. And of course, Kevin, um, these kind of siblings, I mean, if they want to uh, go on a Rachel's Divinity retreat when they realize they've lost a sibling to abortion, they would be also welcomed on those retreats, too, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Uh, they would, they have attended less, you know, less so than the, the other categories of, of, you know, fathers, grandparents um accomplices in abortion for instance but we have had siblings attend and uh they've had you know very beautiful experiences of healing there's also you mentioned uh, earlier Teresa Bonapartis and she has a, a wonderful program called Entering Canaan and that's a program specifically for those uh, siblings who come to know that they've lost a brother or sister to abortion and they can uh, so they have a network of support there that, that has developed as a result of that. So it's something else that we could recommend to anyone who, uh, uh, who feels they might want to have a deeper healing of that experience. Right. I think, Father, we just had a question yes. um, here. It says, uh, this is from uh, Joven. Joven. How is the father responsible when, we, when he had no recourse to prevent it? Well, there are different situations. There are different situations. And they, right. they, there are many who are not responsible at all because they 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 knew it, they saw it coming, they knew about it, right. and they did everything they could to prevent it. Right. They might not have had recourse in the sense of a way to actually stop it, mm -hmm. but in those cases, there's not responsibility. Yeah. Well, with the fathers, there there's several layers, and and Kevin can comment more about this. First of all, you have the dads who the girlfriend says, "I'm pregnant." what should we do? And if he says it's up to you, whatever you want, well, that's, that's already an abortion minded question because for mm -hmm. her, mm -hmm. she's looking for him to say, Oh, it's okay. But we'll have the baby, you know, we'll get through this together. But if he goes, oh, it's up to you, right, Kevin, that's, the, that's like inviting her to go have an abortion by not saying we can get through this together. Um, but then <clears throat> there's the dads who say, well, you have to have an abortion, right? right? Those guys. And they'll say, uh, uh, you know, I'll give you the money. We'll take care of it. Make the appointment. I'll take you next week. You know, and they push her right down the abortion train. Here you go. Um, then the third category of guys is they have no idea their girlfriend was even pregnant. She takes that little home pregnancy test. She says, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. She goes off, has the abortion. Sometimes they'll find out years later that they lost a child uh, to abortion. So, Kevin, you deal a lot with men and abortion. The, the, and I, for our, our question, gentlemen, I'm just showing him that there's like three levels of different men, uh, circumstances that could bring on the abortion. So, Kevin, why don't you comment a little bit? Yeah, I would highly recommend my book, Tears of the Fisherman, because I have a chapter in there on men who experience abortion. I asked the question first, can men experience abortion as trauma? I give the definition of a psychological trauma, and then I present the story of Jason. And uh, in that story, Jason is powerless to stop the death of his child. 
And we, uh, as that story unfolds, you can read about it in, in detail, but he, he ends up uh, experiencing hospitalization, psychiatric hospitalization and uh, all kinds of other issues. He eventually is able to find healing, but uh, it certainly can be a very difficult and traumatic loss. And, and certainly the issue in that case is not his responsibility in the abortion. It's more his need really for emergency emotional help, <laughs> mental health help, spiritual help. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, I, will, I will add, though, this is coming from other men. Now, I'm not saying this in any, in any kind of judgment, but men who, even in those cases where men eventually find healing, sometimes part of their spiritual healing and part of their spiritual growth is they recognize that, you know what, when that conception took place, that woman and that child did not have the commitment that was necessary for her to feel secure enough to say yes to that pregnancy. So it's not taking full responsibility because the woman has to take her responsibility in that. But, uh, you know, men also take responsibility how they're using their sexuality and, and are they putting women at risk by not offering the commitment, you know, the, the, the marital covenant that's necessary uh, for, for children to arrive safely in this world. You know, now, Janet and Kevin, another thing, and for those that are just joining us, by the way, you're, you're watching our seminar for abortion Recovery Awareness Month, and uh, we are, are exploring the wounds of abortion and the healing that's available. And today we're talking about the wider circle of victims, people beyond uh, the baby, of course, is killed. There's the mom, there's the dad, there's the grandparents, there's the siblings, there's the other relatives, there's the friends, there's the abortionists, there's the pro-life advocates. Everyone is wounded by every abortion that occurs. Uh, but, but let's talk about the fact that, you know, you have a mom who has an abortion, then she has other children or either before or after the abortion. So they are now sibling survivors. The question often comes up, should she tell her surviving children about the abortion? And in a nutshell, we advise the answer to be yes, carefully. Mm -hmm. uh, and carefully has to do with the timing and the manner of it. But the reason that it's ultimately yes is that, and we all experience this in different contexts too, people can go through a significant portion of their lives when they realize something is off balance and they don't know what's putting it off balance. Why does this person always react that way when they hear about this topic or when they're in this situation? Or why don't they pay attention to me when, you know, on this aspect of my life? Or, you know, something about the behavior of people in our lives that we don't know why they behave that way, but we sure know that they do. And then it's like, you know, it's like in, in astronomy, you know, when, when, when astronomers notice a, a planet, you know, going in a certain orbit, they can tell when there's an influence of another planet, you know, pulling it a little bit off course or affecting it in some way. So this is true in human relationships. The bottom line is that when a person, when a person has an abortion, there are aspects of their parenting to other children that are affected, oh, and they're affected negatively. Mm -hmm. Might be like you were saying before, overprotection, well, or it might be an inability to bond. To bond. Uh, it, 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 and it, some it, of the moms, father, they become helicopter moms. Helicopter call, moms, where they hover, 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 hover over their child. Right, because that's a that's a that's a, <coughs> an expression of the of the guilt. Mm -hmm. You know, I took the life and, of my other child. Maybe and you know maybe this father, one will be when you killed. think about it, and Kevin, you could comment on this too. You know, I think about when I raised my my children. All right they're in their 40s now there was none of these like uh, you ever see these little wrist things they put on the kid with a rope that oh, the mother has goodness, yes. it's <laughs> like they have the kid on a leash right i mean leash i had three little ones okay um my the, my my daughter was only 23 months old when the, when the twins were born okay so i would have a stroller in her or i had three little ducklings I grabbed them all like, you know, okay, hold mommy's hands. I didn't have leashes for them. But <laughs> if you noticed since abortion, we have all these protective devices, you know, that's that over, over, over protective devices. Over we got to have the yeah. kid on a leash. I always tell father Frank, when I see them in a want to get park, scissors, I want to yeah. get a scissor and snip, <laughs> snip the leashes. Yeah. But the other mm -hmm. aspect that we can get into too is, do you notice? And I think abortion plays a factor. We now see people with dogs in baby carriages. Have you mm. noticed that? Have you noticed that? Yeah. Dogs in baby carriages. They even have little car seats for dogs now for the car. All right. As if these are their children. Yeah. You go out to California, 
when I go visit my daughter out there, there's a sign. I, I love this. A, a Nordstrom by the escalator. It shows a picture of a person with, with a dog and a leash. And it says, please be careful with your pets on the escalator. The dogs are all over the place. They're in supermarkets. They're in the malls. They're in stores. They're like, they yeah. rain like kids. Well, and, but don't and, you think abortion is yes, underpinning yes, here? Yes, no, no. And, and the point is abortion is underpinning a lot of unusual, erratic, or, behavior. or strange behavior. And and this goes back to the, to the basic point I'm making is that, yes, when you come to the point where you can tell the other people in the in the family, especially the other children, that there was an abortion, mm -hmm. they there's going to be a wide range of different reactions. But ultimately, they will appreciate it because now their life, and especially their relationship with you, will make more sense. Makes sense. That's the point I want right. to get at. It will make a lot of questions that maybe they never asked, but that were eating away at their mind and their heart will now fall into place. Right. Now well, it I, makes sense. As far as it's painful, but it makes sense. Well, as far as telling your children too, with the women uh, and men of silent no more, that's a requirement before they can, we let them go public well, with their sure, testimony. Because you don't because want the children to find out on YouTube. Right, or Facebook, yeah. that their mom had an abortion. Um, and I think, like you're saying, Father, it's age-appropriate, meaning you know your child and when they're old enough to receive the information. In fact, you know, um, Dr. Nay wrote a little booklet uh, called Telling Your Children That's right. uh, About an Abortion. Which we'd be happy to send people if, yeah, they, if they if want If they want that. that. Yeah. Or you can just Google it on his website, which is, by the way, messengersthenumber2.com. It's all up there. On, yeah. Well, on the contact internet. us because we want to know that you want to get it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I still have a few copies, I'm sure, in, yeah. in the back in our resource department. But, you know, telling that your children is so important. And again, any man or woman who speaks for silent no more, um, they have told their children that's a, a requirement. And not just telling the children, but, you know, we always point out to them, well, wait, if you're going to come out and hold a sign, I regret my abortion or I regret lost father and give your testimony publicly. Like you said, father, anyone can film you. It could be on YouTube or Facebook, but it's not just telling your children. Do your parents know? Right. Do, if you have other brothers and sisters that would be aunts and uncles of this baby, do they know? I mean, you really, you know, you want, we don't want to take advantage of any person just to push them out to tell a testimony. Well, before you tell the world, you tell the people in your world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And is, that's so important, isn't it, Kevin? Yeah. I, I want to just remind uh, our viewers as well that on the Silent No More Awareness campaign um, website, there's a great overview of the issues involved in speaking to your children. A real nice presentation. I know my wife, Dr. Teresa Burke, has a nice little uh, section in there as well. So I highly recommend that. If you're if you're wanting to kind of dive in a little deeper about these issues, mm -hmm. um, right, Janet? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, uh, Kevin and uh, Janet, we're coming. Uh, actually, this hour is going so fast. We have about ten more minutes. The wider circle of victims also includes the uh, first of all other relatives, and it ties in what we were just saying. People are going to notice differences in behavior, mm -hmm. and they're either going to know about the abortion or they're not, or they opposed it or they participated in it. So there's all of that. Um, but then, and we talked about the friends, but then the abortionists. And, and I just want to point out, and Dr. Nay's book, Deeply Damaged, goes into this at great length, and also his book, The Centurion's Pathway. He calls these ex-abortionists centurions, and we've been all trained very much in his uh, method for healing these people. The abortionists are deeply damaged. What they do hurts them. And, uh, uh, I mean, they're doing a tremendous evil. We're not justifying it in the least, you know, and we're not trying to create some kind of, you know, empty sympathy for these people. But the point is, uh, what they're doing is dehumanizing them. Right. You can't dehumanize the baby without dehumanizing yourself. And they are conflicted and they are often resentful of the work that they do. It's like they feel like they're doing society's dirty work. And they are living in a sea of despair, uh, substance abuse, broken relationships, alcoholism. I mean, these people are bad news in more ways than one. And we want people to understand that there is a damage there. There's a deep wound. 
And uh, there's also a healing program for That's these right. for abortionists, not just the doctors, the nurses, the medical assistants, the receptionists, anybody who works in an abortion facility, even for one hour. And sometimes people go in there, they realize what, they, what they've stepped into, and they, they, go, they go running that same day. Uh, but even for one hour, you work in an abortion facility, you are damaged for life. Well, every appointment, phone call you take, and you schedule that appointment, you've just and... scheduled the death sentence for the baby. So you, that's right. You, you have you're an accomplice in the death of that baby because you put in that woman's name on the on the time. Yep. Oh, come in Saturday at eight thirty a.m. Well, there's yes. the death sentence for that baby. Exactly. You exactly. know, it's uh, you know, um, and of course we know abortionists who have come out of the abortion industry who have uh, uh, been forgiven uh, through these healing programs. And, and, you know, one of the cases I always like to talk about is uh, Dr. our friend, Dr. he's one of our medical advisors now, 100% mm-hmm. pro-life, Dr. Tony Levitino. Mm-hmm. And here, Dr. Levitino, when you think about all this, Dr. Levitino was an OBGYN. So let's say this morning he'd be in the delivery room giving, delivering a baby. And then uh, the next morning he'd be next door in a different OR killing a baby. Mm-hmm. And this was going on for quite a number of years. But it wasn't until he had the death of his own child. His own child, who was his, adopted. Who was adopted. Because they couldn't have children. They, they heard him and his wife were unable to have children. Now, adopted this little girl, I think she was about six or seven, when she was uh, killed by a car. In, in front fr- of their house. In front of their home. He rode in the ambulance with her. His child died at the hospital. And then he said, that next Monday, when he went back into that same OR number, such and such room, to abort another child, he started the procedure and he froze. Like, I can't do this anymore. But he said, well, once you start an abortion, you, you got to finish stop. it. Yeah. He had to finish that abortion, but then he dropped his instruments and, and he went to one of his partners and said, I can't do this anymore. Well, you see, you know? I mean, these people are, are again, they're deeply wounded. And um, Dr. David always remembered Dr. David Brewer saying how the first time he saw an abortion was like a hot poker in his in his heart. And that's the first time he did one, another hot poker. But see, that's a point of, that's a fork in the road. Either you're going to let the pain keep you from going further down that road and you stop. Or you're going to be, or you're going to start to making excuses mm-hmm. why it's okay to do it. Right. You're going to lie upon lie upon lie, layer upon layer of rationalization, and you feel it less each time. That's the dehumanizing. You feel it less each time, and now you are um, uh, now you are on a path of just being a, a, a destroyer, both of these babies and their families and yourself. That's right. That's right. Well, we have to pray for all these abortion doctors that are still performing abortions, that they will come to healing, like so many of the abortion doctors that we know who have dropped their instruments and come to the Lord and and receive forgiveness. You know, I mean, uh, one time, Father, weren't you, um, you conducted one of these centurion uh, retreats and, and among, I think you said there were six or seven participants in abortion. And how many babies were they responsible for killing? Yes, well, one of the processes of, of healing after you've been an abortionist or a clinic worker is to estimate the number of lives you took. I remember one woman I helped uh, 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 set out on this process. A year later, she came to me. Her face was glowing. She says, I did it. I, I, I honored it because I told you, you remember each one. You honor one, one each a day. one, one, one per day. One she per- did it in the course of the year. But when I first asked her how many did you kill or participate in killing, she knew the number right away. Immediately. She really 269, did. 269, she said. Immediately. So so, some of them, they they have to go through more of a calculation uh, of how many. But in that room that you were remembering was the retreat we did. And among the participants in that small room, half a million lives were taken, had been taken. Among six. That group. That group. Six. Six women participated in abortion clinics were responsible for the death of a half a million babies. Father, there's another comment here. You want to read that? Question. Is there a way to raise our kids so that they will tell us when they get pregnant instead of getting abortion without telling us or letting them know they are pregnant? Well, Brian talks about this very beautifully, right? Right. Brian is yeah. saying that they have to, it, 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 the challenge is it's an atmosphere of trust right. and love, mm-hmm. unconditional acceptance, moral guidance together with unconditional acceptance right. that you 
will catch them if they fall. Well, and Brian Kemper, who's uh, heads up our youth ministry, uh, two of his daughters actually uh, became pregnant as teenagers out of wedlock. And he said that his first response when they told him, Daddy, I'm pregnant, was he hugged them and said, I love you. I love you, yes. I love you. I mean, that was the first response. And what I always say, you know, to everybody is, yes, that unexpected pregnancy, uh, you know, is a little unexpected, but it's an unexpected blessing. And I think that's that's the language. We have to use a, a very affirming, life-affirming language that, it, you know, it's unexpected blessing would be my advice too. Um, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to add to that, that uh, before... If, if possible, before incidences occur, before challenging situations, when your kids are old enough to have this discussion, you can talk to them and say, look, you may have something happen where you feel like you're going to, if you share this with me, I'm going to be angry or I'm going to be disappointed. And I want to just reassure you that anything that you run into, any difficulty you have, a challenging situation, I'm going to, we're going to work through this together. I'm going to be there to help you and love you through it. The only thing that will disappoint me is if you don't trust me enough to share with me when you're facing going through a hard time, even then I'm going to be there for you. Even if you fail to tell me and, and something bad happens, I'm going to still be there for you. But if we can solve that together, just know that I won't be disappointed. That's something right. like that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Great way of great That's way great, of Kevin. It. Thank yeah. you. Well, Father, in the remaining time, I just want to first of all remind uh, our viewers that at our online store at ProLifeProducts.org, uh, we have Dr. Teresa Burke's book, Forgive, Forbidding Grief. We have Kevin's book, uh, Tears of a Fisherman. We have the book, Father, that you, Kevin, and Teresa wrote, which yes. is uh, Rivers of Blood, Oceans of Mercy. Yes. And, of course, my book, The Shockwaves, Shockwaves, and my first book, Recall Abortion. But in the few moments that are left, I don't mind if you either of you, because we were talking about teenagers, yes. for me to tell you about my brand-new book that actually came out this week called Everything You Need to Know About Abortion for Teens. And what's great about this book, brothers and sisters, is right here in the middle, we have what's called photos of the unborn child. It says, meet the unborn child. And it's like a baby book, only it's a baby book of the unborn child starting at seven weeks and going through uh, the pregnancy. And in this book, I really talk to the teenagers uh, about what they need to know. See, it's, it's not everything you want to know about abortion because who wants to know about abortion? If you ask that question, they're going to say very few people. But this is, no, you need to know about abortion. And if you're interested in getting an autographed copy of this book, just go to abortionandteens.com. Again, abortionandteens.com. I will personally autograph it to your teenager. And you know, brothers and sisters, don't let your young people... Uh, go off to high school or college without reading the book. This is a great summer read before they return to school. Uh, you know, right? one of the ways to think about it, I always say to parents, you give your uh, children, your teens, information on abortion before the people who are selling it do. Yes. That's the thing. If someone's old enough to huh. have an abortion, they're old enough to, ha uh, to have a conversation about it, and they're old enough to read this book. Well, and that's what happens, Father and Kevin, is that you know, the Planned Parenthood, they're embedded in the sex education in the high schools. They're on college campuses. They're they are there selling abortion, like you just said, Father, to your young people. Oh, so, they're selling it aggressively. And so I was asked by my publisher, believe it or not, after uh, he, they published Recall Abortion, he said to me um, over at Tan Books, they said, you know what? No one's talking to the people who are having these abortions, the young people. Mm -hmm. Janet, could you just... Take what you've learned so far, your decades of experience. Can you write a book? Talk to the teenagers. And in this book, I also give them plenty of information about sexually transmitted diseases. I talk to them about chastity. There's a whole chapter on chastity. And uh, finally, at the back of the book, I give them a little appendix into meeting the pro-life movement and, and the group yes, so that they can yes. get involved in a positive way. So again, I'm so excited about everything you need to know about abortion uh, for teens, go to abortionandteens.com. I'd love to send you a copy out today. Well, Kevin, thank you for Thanks, joining Kevin. us on the program today. And let's hope everyone, again, you're all part of the healing process. Go to abortionforgiveness.com. Spread the word. Because as always, brothers and sisters, there are some abortions only you can stop. Some lives only you can save. 
and some people only you can bring to healing. Thank you for joining us and God bless.
abortion podcast to learn more to help end abortion and to connect with us on social media visit endabortion.net